Good morning, everyone. Today is Thursday, February 11th, a super cold day in North Texas. And there's ice out there, and there was a huge pile up in Fort Worth this morning. And so we pray for those people. I think 100 cars and a couple people lost their lives. So we pray for those people and ask you all to be safe today. It is a a cold, icy day, and it's going to be cold for a while. And so uh, just be safe. Stay inside. Stay warm. Uh, It's a good time to do that anyway. So uh, good morning to you, and so glad that you're joining me today as we continue our study on the book of Romans as we look at Romans chapter 2. So chapter 1 was good. Chapter 2 is good as well, and can't wait to get into it with you today. Okay, so we're actually going to start, we're going to start with Romans chapter 1, verses 29 through 31, how Romans chapter 1 ended. You might remember there was this long list that Paul finished with about evil people. And so uh, verses 29 through 31, they were filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, craftiness. They are gossips slanderers, God-haters, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, rebellious towards parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. All this list of all the things that the wicked people do, that the wicked people do. And so you read that and you think, yeah, Paul, you tell them. You tell those wicked, evil people. You tell them that they're going to hell. And I'm so glad that doesn't include me. Right? I'm so glad that's not me. Well, verse 1, chapter 2. Verse 1, chapter 2, Paul says, You have no excuse, whoever you are, when you judge others. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, are doing the very same things. Dun, dun, dun. So don't think like you're special. Don't think you're a good person because you're not included in that first, uh, those three verses of all those evil things. Stop congratulating yourself. According to Paul, when we judge others, when we judge others, when we look at others and say, ah, you're going to hell because you're one of those evil people from Romans 1, Paul says, well, guess what? When you do that, you throw yourself into that group. You say, watch out, world, watch out, group of wicked people. Here I come. I'm coming to join you. I want to be one of you. That's what you do when you judge others. So be careful not to judge others. Otherwise, you're throwing yourself right in the group with them. So now everyone's like, ooh, I guess I should stop congratulating myself. Yeah. All right, verses three and four. Paul says, do you imagine whoever you are that when you judge those who do such things and yet do them yourself, you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? Do you not realize that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? I love that when he says it, whoever you are, he says that first verse one, you have no excuse, whoever you are. Do you imagine whoever you are, that when you judge those who do such things and yet do them yourself, you will escape the judgment of God, (laughs) whoever you are. Do you think, whoever you are, that God loves you more than anyone else? No, whoever you are. (laughs) I think that's funny. Anyway, okay. So uh, 
Paul in this points out that the kindness, forbearance, and patience of God, the gospel, the love of God, should bring us to humble repentance instead of an attitude of superiority. That when you hear the good news, when you hear the good news, it should not make you think, oh, well, that makes me better than other people. It should lead you actually to say, oh, wow, I'm unworthy. I'm undeserving of this kind of love. I'm undeserving of God's grace. And, and so instead, I'm going to be a person who is humble instead of saying, oh, I'm, oh, man, I'm so much better than everyone else. That's what Paul's saying here. Just don't think you're better than anyone else. It's so easy to, to look at others and say, wow, I'm really glad I'm not them. I'm really glad I haven't made that mistake. I'm really glad I'm a better person than they are. That ain't it. That ain't Christianity. Stay away. Stay away. Well, do not do that, whoever you are. Do not do that. Okay, verse 6. 6, 7, and 8. God will repay each person according to each one's deeds. To those who by patiently doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. While those who are self-seeking and who obey not the truth but wickedness there will be wrath and fury. Wrath and fury. Sounds like a good name for a podcast, doesn't it? Wrath and fury. Or maybe a good name for like a, a WWE tag team. Like We're a tag team. W, wrath and fury. It'd be a good name for a tag team. I don't know if you guys, I used to watch wrestling. It was at WrestleMania 3. Pretty cool. Okay. Paul says, God's wrath will come to all who do evil. All who do evil, which means they obey wickedness. They obey wickedness instead of God. And how does Paul define wickedness? They are selfish. Selfishness is wickedness. Those who are self-seeking. Not selfish and like, man, I need to take care of myself today. But like, oh, I need to get as much as I can. I need to, it's all, my life is all about me right? It's not a, the other people who are just supporting characters in my story. It's not, they're not really that important, right? That is not the way that God wants us to see the world. We are here created for one another. We are put in community on purpose. That's how we're supposed to live. Uh, but so we say, well, what about grace? What do you mean they will be, there will be wrath and fury? What about grace? Paul says, verse eight, these are those who who obey not the truth, but wickedness. So they, they say no to the truth. So they say no. These are people who say no to God. I'm not interested, God. I don't want anything to do with you. Not interested at all. So for those who are not interested in God, there will be wrath and fury. That's what verse 8 says. Verse 11. For God shows no partiality. This is continuing to go on. Or Paul's kind of making the same point over and over again. He's writing to a group of people who he thinks uh, there will be some Jewish people who are reading this, who see themselves as the favorites, right? That God loves the Jewish people more than everyone else. And, and so the Jewish people are not part of what God is talking about, right? So, so okay, God, you know, Paul's writing about all these people who do all these evil things, all these people who are going to experience wrath and fury. And the Jewish people, well, we don't have to worry about it because we're Jewish, Paul says, well, God shows no partiality. Some ancient rabbis used to teach that God showed partiality towards the Jews. 
They said that God will judge the Gentiles with one measure and the Jews with another. And so the Jews were God's favorite people and God, God, they were God's favorites. And God was going to treat them as favorites. And what Paul says here, Paul, someone who grew up Jewish, right, says God does not have favorites. Don't think that you are one of God's favorites and therefore you can get away with doing the things that others can't do. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. Chapter 2, verse 14. Paul's just, I, I don't know if you've noticed what's going on here. Paul's making sure that everyone understands that they aren't good enough. Verse 14. When Gentiles who do not possess the law do instinctively what the law requires, these, though not having the law, are a law to themselves. Meaning, meaning that the Jewish people, uh, uh, the Jewish people and all of humanity, on the day of judgment, no one can say that they didn't know God's law. Paul explains, Paul says here, that our conscience, which is the law written in our hearts, which is what the Bible says, is enough to tell us what God wants us to do and what God doesn't want us to do. How old, how old do you think you were when you first started to understand the difference between right and wrong, where you started to realize uh, uh, I shouldn't do this or I should do that. Or if your parents said, hey, what are you doing? And you get in that moment where you're like, oh, I think I'm doing something I shouldn't be doing. And so I'm going to tell my parents I'm going to lie. Nothing, right? It's pretty young. I have a five-year-old. I've seen. It's pretty young when we start to have an, an understanding within about what is right and what is wrong. And Paul is saying that that understanding is the law that is written on our hearts. And so no one can say, no one can say, well, I just didn't know. You know, when they get to judgment and say, God says, oh, you did all these things wrong. No one can say, well, I just didn't know. Mm-mm-mm. Doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. Mm-mm-mm. Everybody has an inherent understanding of the difference between right and wrong. And so there's no one who can say, well, I just didn't know. No one can claim ignorance. So, that's verse 14. We continue on. Verse 17 and verses 21 through 23. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast of your relation to God, you then that teach others, will you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You that forbid adultery, do you commit adultery? You that abhor idols, do you rob temples? You that boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? So the Jewish people of that day were extremely proud and confident in the fact that God gave the law to them as a nation, right? That God gave the law to them through Moses. And so they believe this confirms their status as God's chosen people. Now, now, the next part, I mean, you can see where this could be, this could lead to uh, a misunderstanding, they thought they were in right relationship with God because the law was given to them, not because they followed it, because the law was given, because God chose to give the law to them. They thought they were in right relationship because it was given to them, not because they followed it. Well, God gave us the law. That makes us the favorites. Doesn't mean we have to follow it. So for Paul... Having the law given to them isn't what's important. Where Paul says, 
Everyone has the law in their hearts. Obeying the law is what's important. If you want to be in right relationship with God, you have to obey the law. It's not just that you have it. It's not just that God gave it to you. You have to do what it says. If you want to be in right relationship with God, you have to do what it says. It's not just having it. Come on. You're better than that. You're smarter than that. It's not just having it. It's doing it. Now Paul's like, okay, okay. I think I'm starting to I think I'm starting to get some people nodding their heads with me or or they're they're offended. <laughs> One or two. Uh, but he's he's trying to make sure that everybody understands, hey, y'all ain't got it. You're not doing it right. Okay, verses 25 and 29. Circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Rather, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and real circumcision is a matter of the heart. It is spiritual and not literal. Such a person receives praise, not from others, but from God. Okay, so Paul is kind of finishing up this argument here, and he recognizes that a Jewish person might be listening to this and say to themselves, oh, well, I'm circumcised, so it doesn't matter. Because I am circumcised, I am a descendant of Abraham, and I'm fine. I don't have to worry about it. I don't know what this guy's talking about. I'm just going to ignore it. And so the, Paul says, well, maybe at this point, some people are going to be like, well, I'm circumcised. And they're going to start, you know, tuning out. And then he just throws this in there. Boom. So basically saying a Gentile who keeps the righteous requirement of the law through his conscience would be justified instead of the circumcised Jewish man who did not keep the law. That would bring everyone's attention back. Like, Wait, what did he just say? What did he just say? Back then, some rabbis taught that Abraham sat at the entrance at the, of the gates of hell and made certain that none of his circumcised descendants went in. I don't know how he, you know, that like, did everybody have to pull down their pants in front of Abraham? I don't know. That's weird. But it, it, that's what they taught. And so if you were circumcised, you were fine. You didn't have to worry about it. Paul says, uh, no, no, that's not true. That's not true. Just circumcision is more spiritual than literal. If you break the law, you undo your circumcision. That's what he says, verse 25. If you break the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. It gets undone. See, in our, cir- in our circumcision, we are made right with God. But if you break the law, it's undone. So here's the point. Having the law isn't enough. If you want to be in right relationship with God, apart from the grace shown in Jesus, then strict obedience to the law is required for righteousness. Circumcision isn't enough. Having the law isn't enough. You have to be 100% obedient to the law if you want to be in right relationship with God, apart from the grace shown in Jesus. And so... Everyone listening would say, well, that's impossible. What this guy's talking about, just, it's not possible. It's not something that anyone can do. So now what? What are we supposed to do? Are we just supposed to give up? Are we supposed to walk away? I mean, this faith that we are called to, this impossible ask, right, to be obedient 100% of the time, to be righteous, now what do we do? Well, folks... Next Tuesday, we'll get into chapter three, 
and it's going to start to get really good because Paul addresses what it is that we should be doing, what it is that we should be relying upon. Now, remember, 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 the, these books, these letters, they were not written in chapters and verses. And so Paul would not divide his letter the way that we have. Paul would not say, we'll come back next time and read chapter three. Paul would expect that you would read the whole letter at one time. It will take you some time. It's a long letter, but that's the way Paul would expect you to read it. So, but that's not what we're going to do. We are going to look at chapter three next Tuesday, and we are going to find some comforting theological words uh, and verses that Paul uses that we basically have made the foundation for our theology as far as our understanding of who God is and who we are in relationship to what God would have us do and how it is that we are saved. So great news coming, chapter three. Romans is going to start to get really good. Thank you so much for joining me today. Be safe, be careful, take good care of yourselves, and we'll close with a word of prayer. Good and gracious God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for coming to earth and, and, and loving us, even in the midst of our brokenness and in the midst of our mistakes, for forgiving us and for giving us uh, hope. Uh, we pray that you would uh, bless all of humanity today, that you would uh, be with those who aren't feeling well, that you would be with those who are grieving, that you would be with those who um, are in car accidents today because of the weather. Uh, and we just pray for our first responders and for everyone uh, who is working this day to help others. Uh, may we show your grace to all and help those who we can. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, everybody, have a wonderful day, and I will see you next Tuesday. Also, we will have Worship Sunday online at 11 o'clock. Outdoor worship, we're going to cancel because it's going to be 15 degrees. So, um, yeah, it's just going to be too cold. So I'm not going to be out there preaching when my face will get frozen. So we'll see you online at 11. Take care of yourselves. Stay warm. See you then.